Hey everybody, welcome back to Practice Makes Faithful. I'm excited to jump into this episode today. My name is Ben Patterson. We are in Season 3, Episode 19. I am joined as always by Paul Hugobart. Paul, how are you? Man, I'm good. You know, for a Monday, like I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'm a little bit like juiced this morning, a little bit, <laughs> That's uh, good. That's and, good. and one cup of coffee, just like you know, like yeah. normal. Um, but, uh, but I actually have some decent energy. Awesome, awesome. Uh, so, so ready to roll. Yeah, man. Excited. Um, good stuff. Good stuff. So, yeah, had sure. anything going on over the weekend? Anything exciting? Hmm. Um, so we, I mean, we had, uh, you know, we had. Baseball, softball with the kids. Oh, yeah. oh, yeah. uh, Lori and uh, Hannah, and I think maybe uh, maybe Nate went with them too. But we had the the helping the elderly stuff, and so yes. uh, so kind of partnership with a local community partner. We had quite a few of our folks volunteer and go out and do uh, some planting of flowers, That's some awesome. landscaping in uh, in yards of some of our folks here at Grace Chapel, and maybe even beyond that. I'm not not sure exactly, but uh, you know that was certainly exciting and. Um, yeah, I mean, just, you know, Mother's Day. Love that. That's yes. kind of a big one. And yep, so yep. We got to try out a new chicken place in town, a new chicken finger place in town called awesome. Guthrie's. It was uh, okay. quite good. Okay. So this yeah. video is not brought to you by Guthrie's, but you should go check it out if you are <laughs> local here or if you happen to have a Guthrie's uh, closer to you. Um, man, Follow that away. It's pretty good. Pretty good. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of groovy, groovy, a lot of exciting stuff going on in that regard. How about you? Awesome, awesome. In the midst of uh, it's it's grad party season right yeah, now. Boy. So that was right. uh, had a couple of those stacked on Saturday. Sure it was a good time. So uh, had that going on. Then mm -hmm. just hanging out with some friends this weekend. It's been yeah. a good time. Good, good, good. Yeah. Yep. Well, groovy, nice groovy. Time of so year, that's for sure. Sunday was a great day here as well. Like I said, Mother's Day um, had a really, really good Sunday. Great worship gathering together. Yeah, you were able to sure. continue this series um, in these last days yeah. based on Second Timothy. Yeah. So, Paul, in case anyone missed it, you want to give us a quick recap? Kind of where are we at in this series? Yes. What is this series about? Sure. Tell us about Second Timothy. Yeah, I mean, you know, Second Timothy. Um, Three is where the title of this series comes from. And, and Paul basically says to Timothy, and we'll get to this next week, he says okay. yep. something along these lines, but mark this, um, or but know this, in these last days there will be terrible times. It's like, whoo, uh, <laughs> sweet, uh, awesome words, you know. Um, but what the Apostle Paul is saying, and certainly marking the last days, is the time since Jesus, you know, the time post-resurrection, um, saying these are the last days, mm -hmm. you know. So mm -hmm. we have been living in the last days in a sense for the last two thousand years. And, and as Paul is writing this letter to Timothy, Second Timothy, uh, we call it. Uh, he's sitting in a jail cell in Rome, uh, probably somewhere around the year sixty-seven A.D. Um, so you know, thirty years plus past uh, the resurrection. Uh, this was his second time in prison. So this is the time where Paul is is going to. Uh, he's going to be executed. He's going to become a martyr for, for his faith in Jesus. And so he's writing this letter to Timothy really to, um, man, to say, you know, if, if, I, if these are my last words, if this is the last thing I get to say to you, Timothy, here's what I want you to know. Um, so we, we talked last week about uh, the fact that, you know, Paul was saying to Timothy, listen, God has placed this spark of faith inside of you. It is your responsibility to fan that spark to a flame. That is on you. You need to do that. Now, God is working to guard that spark, but only you in partnership with the Holy Spirit can take that spark and, and turn it into a flame. And So that's where Paul starts with Timothy saying, hey, listen, this, this beautiful thing that God has put in you, this gift, fan it to flame. You work to fan it to flame um, and, and guard it and protect it, cherish it, all of those things. And so we talked last week a little bit about the intentionality of taking a spark, that first ember, if you're trying to make a campfire or something, you know, a cook fire, um, taking that first ember and fanning it and feeding it and, and nurturing it so that it becomes this roaring fire and, and you know, the, the process that that takes, you know, the adding fuel to the fire and increasing levels of fuel to the fire. And certainly for Paul and Timothy, that would have been a known concept, you know, mm -hmm. building a fire in the wild to stay warm. I mean, these guys would have known how to do that. They would have, you know, they would have done that. Fire was survival for them, um, and so, you know, th that's the imagery that Paul uses to get Timothy to, th Timothy to think about, you know, his responsibility in growing his relationship with God. And so, 
whether that be time spent in the Word, time spent in prayer, time spent with others, time engaging and listening to the Holy Spirit, all of these things that Timothy would do to take that spark and allow that spark to grow into truly a flame, a roaring fire. And, you know, the beauty of that is, um, you know, when you think about fire, um, how hard it is to put out a roaring fire. You think about the forest fires and, uh, you know, they've been all the way up into Canada at times, but really in California here on the North American continent and other places too, or in Australia over the last several years. Mm -hmm. And the Mm -hmm. best effort of, you know, of, of these firefighters, they, they can't put the flame out. And, and the really wild thing is, you know, you, you watch, um, you know, when there's a roaring fire and, and, uh, and firefighters will come to put that out. I remember watching this one time too, you know, uh, there, was a, there was a house on fire. Man, it was, it was amazing how, um, you could just tell how hot that fire was. I mean, it was super, super evident. You could see the heat shimmering in the air and, you know, these firefighters using these big hoses to try to douse this fire and they're doing everything they can to keep that fire and the houses were close enough together in this neighborhood that it was a danger to keep that fire from jumping from this house to the next house Mm -hmm. because that's what fire does. It spreads. Mm -hmm. You know, think about, you know, even the fact that, um, I'm trying to remember where this is now um, and, and it's slipping my mind, but where... Um, I think it's the Apostle Paul talking about the gospel spreading like wildfire. Um, that, that is the way that the gospel can move. Is mm-hmm. if, you, if there's a roaring fire of the gospel of faith in you, for that flame to jump from you to someone else is almost the natural progression of what flame does, of what fire does. And so Paul wants to see that in Timothy's life. We have these words preserved because uh, just as they... Um, they were formative in Timothy's life. They're, they're intended to be formative in our lives too. We're to have that kind of faith that is like a roaring fire that is going to spread from one person to the next. And really, um, you know, we'll talk about that more in just a minute. That's kind of a foreshadowing of what we talked about this past Sunday, um, you know, is the idea of that roaring fire is contagious or it moves. It takes on a life of its own and bounces from uh, one source of fuel to the next, in a sense, you know. Yeah, and, that's and good. So, you know, beautiful imagery when you when you think about that. And so, again, the, the call to guard that thing that God has put in you so that it becomes truly this roaring fire. Yeah, I know last week you talked a lot about that, kind of setting up some of the ideas of that, this idea of fanning mm-hmm. this uh, spark into a flame. Yeah. We talked a lot about kind of like this um, in connection with our milestone Sunday about uh, we talked about some research from Sticky Faith yeah, Partners, that's right. or from Sticky, the book Sticky Faith, and discussed some of these ideas of discipling the next generation, of them being growing, being resilient in their faith. So, yes. well, you want to talk a little bit about what was last Sunday? Kind of fill us in on that. Yeah. So, Anything else so you'd add? Um, you know, this this past Sunday we jumped into the second chapter of Second uh, Timothy. And, and Paul moves straight into, he, I mean, it, he's connecting these ideas definitely. He begins with this call to Timothy to continue to be strong mm-hmm. in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So he says, look, I, I want you to continue to be strong. So you guard what you have, stand firm, let it continue to grow. You know, another thing I learned uh, yet last week was that if you take the word flame and the word spark and you accidentally merge those together, you end up with a slightly awkward word uh, <laughs> that, that I somehow uh, said from the stage on Sunday, which was, uh, you know, I think it was the first time I've ever said something from the stage in, in preaching in, uh, over the last, uh, you know, close to 20 years now. That uh, that was uh, that was so awkward that I had to just kind of ignore what I had just said on stage. Um, again, flame Go back and, watch the and spark, mesh them together. If you're having a hard time figuring out in your mind the, what that starts to sound like, anyway, uh, you know what we also found out that day was that who the really mature people in our audience were, uh, as we had you know um, mild bouts of giggling erupting. Um, and, and somehow, you know, by the grace of God, kept, you know, kept the, uh, the plane moving forward. And so, um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, you, you, uh, you see, again, Paul's emphasis to Timothy in that first chapter, and he mm-hmm. continues mm-hmm. with that. He starts with that in chapter 2 to say, hey, be strong. And we were in 2 this week. Yeah, we're in 2 okay. this week. Yep. So from 1, again, remember Paul didn't write in chapters. Paul yeah. just write, yeah, yeah. One, wrote one flowing letter, no chapters, no verses. Those were added later. Um, but the ideas, there, there definitely is this um, 
movement in ideas where he's talking first about Timothy's faith. Timothy, let's talk about your faith. Let's talk about your relationship with God. Let's let's talk about you guarding the gift that is in you. And that is, I think, where we're, it's a great place to start the conversation. If you're talking with someone you've mentored, you've discipled, you would talk first about what's in them, mm-hmm. right? The relationship you have, you have with God. I mean, I've got several younger guys that I, uh, that I have mentored, discipled over the year and, years and several of them that I continue um, to check in with frequently. One of the mm-hmm. questions I'll ask them is, hey, tell me how you're doing in your connection with God. Yeah. I've learned that from others who've mentored and discipled me who will start with that. And it's amazing the conversation that will lead to and sometimes the, the confession that will lead to is, well, really not that great right now um, or I'm really struggling or I've been super busy and so I haven't been making time for God. I haven't been fanning that spark to a flame. I haven't been guarding that gift, you know, whatever that is. And so you start with that and then you talk about this, the next thing that comes out of mm-hmm. that. And so how are you doing in pursuing Jesus moves to this conversation of how are you doing in helping others pursue Jesus and learn to know Him. Again, if, if this flame that becomes a roaring fire is intended to be contagious and flame wants to move from one thing to the next, if it becomes a wildfire in a sense, um, which, is, which is what we want to see, I mean, that's what revival renewal looks like is the gospel moves like wildfire. It, it spreads, it bounces from one person to the next. Um, that is what Paul then moves to. As he's talked about the fire in Timothy's life, now he wants to talk about how that fire can spread to the, into the lives of others. And so this is what he says. He says, you then, my son, speaking in that very familiar, familial language, you know, uh, Paul very much saw Timothy as his child in the faith. Mm-hmm. So he says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And then he moves on to the next thing. He says, and the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses. Timothy, you, you were there when I was teaching, when I taught Barnabas and, and Silas and John Mark even and others, you know, when I was pouring into the lives of these other young ones, Titus, uh, there, there are others that Paul mentions at times too in, in his letters. You've been there on some of these journeys with me. You, you've been, I've, I've discipled you on these journeys. I was discipling others. You heard me say too many, right? He says, in the presence of many witnesses, those things that you've heard me say, I want you now to turn around and entrust to reliable people. The, 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 the word there is really reliable men, so it's this concept of maybe um, you know, same gender discipleship kind of comes out of this sometimes, but really you could also take that and say it could be reliable people as the NIV says, you know, because mm-hmm. it's, it's not just that men only disciple men and that women only disciple women. I mean, it, it, it can definitely take on you know, mm-hmm. different forms at times, but, um, but certainly what, what is there implicit is Timothy, I discipled you. I want you now to turn around and disciple others who will also be qualified to do what? To teach and train others. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, that is exactly what Paul says in, in 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. 2 Timothy 2.2, 2, an awesome passage or an awesome scripture about discipleship, especially what we think about when we talk about generational disciple making. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, again, when we say generational disciple-making, again, think about the way that Paul addresses Timothy as his son in the faith. He's yeah. now saying, Timothy, yeah. you need a son in the faith because I need grandkids in the faith. Mm-hmm. And then they mm-hmm. need to have sons in the faith, sons and daughters in the faith, because I need great-grandchildren in the faith, and you need grandchildren in the faith, and your children need to have children in the faith, and this continues to grow generationally, uh, which, which is an incredibly important thing as we think about disciple-making. Um, so again, from Paul to Timothy to these reliable men, how do we know these men were reliable? Well, the litmus test in this passage is whether or not they will teach and train others. So reliable in what sense? Well, reliable as it relates to the mission of Jesus, which is to be disciples who make disciples, right? Matthew 28, go. I want you to teach. I want you to baptize. I want you to make disciples of all nations. You go do this. And then the promise of Jesus, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age, very implicit in the Great Commission, this idea of I'll be with you to the end of the age, is this is going to continue until I come back, until I return. Mm-hmm. So not just the end of the age for those disciples standing right there, or even in our generation, if Jesus doesn't come back, we're talking about until Jesus returns, the mission to make disciples continues. Right. So implicit in that too is that disciples make disciples and keep making disciples until Jesus returns. And so again, this generational disciple-making 
Paul, a father in the faith, Timothy, Timothy, a son in the faith, who's also needed to become a father in the faith, who will make more sons in the faith, who will also become fathers in the faith, fathers, mothers, daughters, all that stuff. Um, this is what we're supposed to do. And so um, connected with that, Paul then moves into this. Uh, Paul loves giving Timothy imagery, you know, basically saying this is like this. Um, giving him some imagery, some, uh, some metaphors that he can hang on to. And so he gives three of these in this passage, you know, beginning in verse 3, um, uh, maybe a little bit later, beginning in verse, yeah, it is beginning in verse 4, I think, 3-4. Uh, he talks about, uh, about soldiers, you know, and soldiers, they don't become entangled in civilian affairs, Paul says, but they listen to the voice of their commanding officer. They want to please their commanding officer. And so he says, Timothy, listen, I want you to join with me in this mission, even though it's going to be hard. In fact, he uses the word suffering right there. He says, suffering like a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I, I want you to look to please your commanding officer. Well, what, what command have you been given, Timothy? Well, it's to go be disciples who make disciples. Be a disciple who makes disciples. I mean, Tim, Paul was just talking about this. Generational discipleship. Paul, Timothy, reliable believers, others. Right. So he's moving down through. Now he's bringing in this this analogy to say, like a soldier listens to his commanding officer, wants to please his commanding officer, you be a soldier of Jesus in a sense, and don't get caught up in civilian affairs. In other words, don't get distracted from the main thing, this mission, mm -hmm. to continue to teach and train those who will teach and train others who will teach and train others, and we call that discipleship. Um, then he moves on and says, okay, in case you didn't understand that one, let me give you another one. And so he says, similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Okay, Timothy, this is what I want you to do. I want you to teach and train others the things that I've taught you. Teach and train those things to others. And, that, and that's, how, that's how we'll know we make, you make another disciple of Jesus because my teaching is faithful to the teachings of Jesus. You keep your teachings faithful to my teachings. So there's this, I'm, what I modeled for you, and I talked about this in the, in the message on Sunday, um, an acronym that's often used in disciple-making movements is MAWL, M-A-W-L. Um, so it's Model, Assist, Watch, and Launch. And so, Timothy, what I modeled for you, what I then helped you learn to do yourself as I assisted you, what then I watched you do, I saw you do this, mm -hmm. as I was at Ephesus with you, I saw you do these things. Now I'm launching you out, and I want you to go and do this. You do that with someone else. Yeah. You model yeah. these things. You teach them. You, uh, you, you watch them as they're doing what they're doing. So you assist, then you watch, then you launch them out as well. And so keep doing this thing. And so that's, that's the rules, in a sense, of the game. We're not playing a game. But, but Paul likes these analogies, you know, this idea of the soldiers and the athletes. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. you know, and so he says, compete by the rules. You, you do it the way that I passed on to you. Take the things that I passed on and you keep doing those same things, right? So, um, again, it's, it's very easy to become so distracted by what is happening in this life around us that we forget what life is truly all about. You know, so basically we've been given this paradigm, this worldview that we live in, a biblical worldview, which obviously we, we talked about that before, but um, a biblical worldview where we start with Scripture and Scripture sets the tone for what we do because we believe that Scripture is the Word of God. In that is also the call to live and lean into the mission of Jesus and all we do. These are the kind of people we are. Don't get distracted by other messages, by um, maybe uh, you know just other things going on, different type of goals and targets you could set for your life. Stay focused on this one, mm -hmm. Paul is saying to Timothy. Uh, and then he uses one more kind of analogy gives him one more metaphor um, of this hardworking farmer that will be the first to receive a share of the crops. In other words, saying, go out there and, and tend the fields, cultivate the soil, sow seed, tend those plants, and then gather the harvest. And if you're out there working hard in the harvest, what you're going to see, Timothy, is a return. And so it really is, I mean, it, it is th this whole passage it's easy to get distracted and start to wonder, did Paul just switch gears when he went from talking about this generational disciple-making to this idea of soldiers, athletes, and farmers? Um, but Paul is actually using these three ideas to point back to what he's just said about generational disciple-making, saying, don't okay. get distracted. Okay. 
Don't get caught up in the things of this world. Remember what you're doing and why you're doing it. And I'm telling you, if you go out there and you sow, if you're a hardworking farmer, you're going to see a harvest that comes out of that. So all of this comes back to this, this idea of staying yeah. focused on the mission, <clears throat> Timothy. Let's dive in more to the idea of the generational disciple making. Okay. So why, why does this matter? Why is this something that Paul really focuses on? Um, yes. Yeah. Flesh that out a little bit more yes. as to the significance of this idea. Yeah. Well, first, and we've talked about this, I think, a fair bit, is, uh, I mean, the gospel is good news, mm-hmm. right? The gospel is good news, and it is that thing that roars up like a fire inside of us that then spreads and passes from one person to the next. And if you look at it, I mean, we don't have to go far to find in our day and age people are in need of some good news. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. th- there are so many people who are disillusioned by, um, by the life they're living. Um, they're, they're wrestling with, you know, what is the meaning of life? Is this all life is about? And I know, you know, lots of, lots of, uh, lots of naturalists would like to say that you don't, it's, it's a waste of time to be asking questions like, what is the meaning of life? The problem is that we are wired as human beings to ask the question, what is the meaning of life? Mm. And you can try to fool yourself into saying, well, that's not a big deal and I don't need to know there is no meaning in life. Make your own meaning up in life. But people continue to, generation after generation, despite the best efforts of you know, the naturalist, you know, naturalist philosophers and naturalist uh, scientists and others as well, uh, people keep coming back to that question because there's some significance in that. I mean, at, at the existential level, right? Why, why are we here? Why am I here? What's the meaning of life? What's the purpose in all of this? You know, so we find in the gospel, but in uh, throughout all of scripture, we see there is meaning and purpose in life. And the meaning in life is to get to know the creator that created you because he wants to know you he wants to have a relationship with you. In the gospel, we see how far Jesus was willing to go to reestablish a relationship uh, with the Father and his creation. Um, you know, the gift of the Holy Spirit indwelling us. God wants to be with his people. God wants to have a relationship with his people. He wants us to have a relationship with others. He wants us to bring to earth what is in heaven, which is why we pray. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We want to see God's kingdom move and expand here. And so um, the news about the kingdom reign of Jesus is good news, especially when all the other kingdoms that seem to be reigning on this earth um, aren't really that good at bringing good news about. You know, there's so much bad news or different worldviews even. Um, It's not their specialty to be bringing good news into the world. Also, you know, especially in a time where we think about truth as being a, we don't obviously, but our culture around us thinks about truth as being a relative concept. Again, that's, that's part of the struggle for finding meaning and purpose in life. If I just have to make it up because there is no such thing as an absolute truth, um, man, that's confusing. So confusing. And we're seeing with the younger generation now just how confusing that is that there are no truths that you can build your lives upon. There is no real foundation for this life and what it's all about. And so the fact that we can go to Scripture, we can go to uh, the person of Jesus and not just find truth in Scripture, we can find truth in Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. I mean, all of that is good, good news. And so it's intended to be passed on. Mm -hmm. So first, Mm -hmm. I think that's why generational disciple-making matters. It is horrible to keep something that good to ourselves. I mean, that'd be mm-hmm. selfish. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think about, um, you know, this uh, was at a, a church camp a number of years ago, and um, we were giving out prizes, and there was uh, one little boy, he had some, some, some disabilities, developmental disabilities, and every time he would get uh, an ice cream or a popsicle or other things like that, he would actually take it and he would walk away and try to hide with it because he was so afraid that other people were going to take this thing that he had from him that, from, then that he knew was good, right? And so if I think about that, sometimes we do that with the gospel, you know, not because we're so afraid that somebody else is going to take it from us. I think it's because we're afraid of what may happen if we try to share it with them. Um, but our call is to be people who don't take a light and hide it under a bushel. Yeah but who take the bushel off the light and share it with other people. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I think that's, that's the first thing I would say is, you know, let's not be those who t- 
take this beautiful thing and go hide in a corner with it or take this light and go put a, a basket on it. Let's be people who are living out, uh, you know, living loudly our faith, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Sharing it as we go. Um, the second thing I'd say about that is, you know, it, if we care about multiplication, this is how it happens. It happens generationally. You know, what, what the idea would be is Paul shared what he had, the gift that God had put in him, the treasure that was in a jar of clay. In a sense, Paul uses that idea as well. Um, he shared that with Timothy, but he shared it with Titus. He shared it with multiple others. Here is Paul sharing his faith with many, many people who then turn around and do what? Pass their faith on. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like two candles coming together. They pass their faith. The flame spreads from one to the next. Timothy then turns around, right, and shares with others. Titus then in Crete, you know, we see this letter that Paul writes to Titus as he's in Crete as well, giving a lot of similar encouragement and instructions to this other young disciple, a guy named Titus. Um, We see them turning around and now sharing what they have with other reliable people who will then turn around and share it with others. Well, if you think about, let's say Paul shared with only two. Now, we know he shared with a whole lot more. Mm -hmm. You know, he spent his life in missionary, in missionary journeys after coming to Christ. Um, but let's say he had only shared with those two, and let's say those two only shared with two, but those, and the next generation only shared with two. Well, then there's this multiplicative growth every generation where you go from one to two to four, <laughs> you know, and you keep adding those on to see how quickly things start to grow. I mean, it's unbelievable. So that's Is, how things happen, or that's how multiplication and, and, and rapid spread or wildfire type spread of the gospel actually happens. Is that model still viable today? Oh, yeah. Does that still happen I mean, today? Or is that just a, a Bible thing that yes. you know, was for their time? Yeah, that's a great question because, I mean, if you look by somewhere around the third century, uh, when Christians were still being persecuted, uh, Christianity had grown from first century under persecution, second century persecution, third century persecution, had gone from, you know, just a handful of believers to... The estimate is well over 300,000 believers in the Roman Empire during a time of persecution, and it happened in that multiplicative fashion. So yes, it happened then, but yes, it's also happening now. I mean, we'll talk about my friend uh, Josh Howard just in a minute. I'll give some examples of this Mm -hmm. about the way this is happening in India, but the way it's happened in other places as well. And so in India, um, Josh leads uh, a parachurch organization called Ignite. Ignite is all about multiplication. even in persecuted India, uh, they have seen the church grow incredibly quickly, where it started with just a handful of folks about 10 years ago. And as movement started to happen, um, they saw you know, maybe first a year where several hundred churches were planted, then a year where, where a thousand churches were planted, then a year where two or 3,000 churches were planted, then a year where 8,000 churches were planted. And I think they're looking to see maybe 10, 12, 15,000 churches planted this year. And when you say churches, you don't necessarily mean a brick and mortar building. No. But you yeah. mean a group of disciples? What, what do you mean? I'd you say th- probably more similar to what we saw you know, in Acts, you know, where people yeah. were meeting in yeah. homes. That's Especially in India, that is much more the way things are happening. Um, church, it's hard to have a church building in mm-hmm. India anymore mm-hmm. at this time because of the persecution of Christians. Uh, in India. And so, yes, most of the time in people's homes, which limits the size of those churches to about 20, mm-hmm. sometimes a little more, sometimes a little less, but maybe an average church size of about 20. So when you're seeing 10,000 or 12 or 12,000 churches being planted, you know, keep in mind that 20 times 10,000 is 200,000 plus new Christians potentially in one year. I mean, incredible, incredible numbers. And that's only happening through multiplication. It's, it's because everybody, in, in a sense, sees themselves as a disciple maker. And so mm-hmm. I, I think that's, uh, and, and that we see that in Sierra Leone. Um, we've talked that abo- about, about that before with, uh, with my friend Shadanke Johnson. Uh, Curtis Sargent experienced that when he was in India, or I'm sorry, in, in China, in an, in an island uh, just off the south coast of China, um, coming to a place where there were only a handful of believers, seeing faith become rapid, lap, rapidly growing, become multiplicative, uh, to when he left, there were more than a million believers after, I think, maybe 10 or 12 years there on that particular island. Mm-hmm. You know, so a handful to a million. Well, how mm-hmm. does that happen? You know, the, the reality is this. It doesn't, happen by, it doesn't happen by doing church the way we often do church here in North America. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we here at Grace Chapel seat 720 people. I think maybe have roughly oh, okay. 720 yeah. seats. You know, so um, even if Sunday after Sunday um, we... we 
have a great gathering here and we preach powerful messages. The most people we can reach here within our located building on a Sunday morning in an uncomfortable fashion would be like 720. <laughs> you know, we multiply services, well, multiply. We add a service, because really we can't multiply that. We add a service, then yeah, sure, maybe we can grow to 13, 1400, right? But that doesn't happen quickly. Um, and also, it's only because there's a draw here to a building where an experience is happening, where a person is preaching a message. And, and so there are some real drawbacks. And the truth is that we have to acknowledge we can only ever grow by addition when we do things that way. Mm -hmm. um, growing by multiplication is, is much different because it puts the emphasis on every disciple becoming a disciple maker. And it takes the emphasis off of what some are calling the pastor hero complex mm. or the pastor hero scenario to where there's one person that draws a crowd, mm. mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which drawing a crowd isn't an all bad thing. Jesus drew a crowd where he went, wherever he went. Um, but, but look at what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, this crowd, these are my people. Jesus looked at a group of 12. And then, you know, sometimes it was a little bit more than that. It was also 70, maybe 120 at times. Over three years, over a course of three years, he spent his time on the road with these folks all, all the time, was yeah. given with, to these, to these uh, men and women. And he invested in them deeply. He poured into the 12 most uh, intently, and then a group of three even more intently than that. And so, um, it, it, you know, Jesus did not try to make himself um, the center of a figure or the center figure of, of a movement of uh, 5,000 people, for example, you know, we, we'll see, you know, he fed the crowd of 5,000, but then he actually makes it difficult for them to keep following him because he says, hey, look, if you really want to do this thing, it's going to be a whole lot more difficult. In fact, I'm going to give you these hard teachings. They acknowledge his teachings as hard. Many of them leave. And then he turns back to the 12 and says, hey, you guys going to leave too? No, where are we going to go? You, you've got the words of life, mm -hmm. you know, and so they stay with him. They stick with him because he's been engaging with them in a truly transformative way. Well, if each one of us could become like that, you know, if I could affect 12 people in a radically transformative way, or even, you know, say it's 11, um, in the case of Jesus that way, if I could affect 11 people in a radically transformative way in the course of my life, and they were able to engage with 11 people in radically transformative ways, we would do so much better than drawing five, six hundred people to a building every Sunday or five, six thousand people to a building every, every Sunday even. Do we see any examples of that happening and working here in North America? In North America, yeah. We're, we're starting to see, uh, we're definitely starting to see some multiplication. Um, I've got a guy that I know out in, in Denver, Colorado, and they have, in the last two years, they have begun 800 house churches um, catalyzed by an existing legacy church. Legacy just meaning the kind of churches that we are, primarily kind of attractional, come see what we're doing here. Okay. Um, where the very much the missional is go and be out there. Mm -hmm. And so come and see what's happening here is, is a great thing. I, I, I'm, not, I'm not advocating doing away with that. But when we, when we only or when we solely focus in on the come and see what's happening here, we do create that pastor hero uh, scenario where yeah. basically, yeah. you know, one person is qualified to do the teaching about Jesus and nobody else is. One mm. person is qualified to pass on faith and nobody else is. Um, you know, and, and I'm thankful we've really, we're really moving away from that here. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and many churches are, in fact, realizing that we've done some harm to the way that the gospel is supposed to spread like mm. wildfire. Basically, if we use the wildfire analogy, what we've done is we've created a bunch of campfires that can never actually spread or never actually will, by design, spread out other places. You know, so keep the campfire okay. here, keep it right here at this building. And that's kind uh, of we what don't our want to catch anything else on fire. That's right. That's right. But what we yeah. want to do is gather where the fire is hottest. Yes, no doubt, and then go as burning embers ourselves mm. everywhere we go and spread that fire to others. So. Mm. That, I, I think like that. that's why the, the focus on generational disciple-making, on every disciple being a disciple-maker, matters so much. Mm. Man, that's really good. That's, that's really good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Okay, so 
Let's maybe go into one of the other mm -hmm. uh, pieces of imagery Paul used mm -hmm. that you talked about. That um, yeah. I enjoyed the label you put on this. Yes, you talked about what you called the principle of the crazy farmer. Yeah, yes. Let's talk about that. What does that mean? How does that relate to yes. what we've been talking about? Yes. So the last metaphor or analogy that Paul uses is this one of a farmer, and mm -hmm. he's talking about you know farmer, you, you're you, a hardworking farmer was going to receive a harvest. So. Um, Paul wasn't the only one that talked about that. Jesus talked about that as well. And so I'm actually, I'm, uh, you know, mentioned my friend Josh Howard in India, actually borrowing this language from him. Okay, um, the crazy farmer language. Yeah, the crazy okay. farmer yep. language, yeah. So he introduced this uh, to me um, just in the last couple of weeks. We were in, uh, in Indianapolis together for uh, Renew.org conference and Discipleship.org and uh, had the chance to do several sessions together. Um, and, and Josh was saying, we need to learn in North America the principle, what he calls the principle of the crazy farmer, which comes from Mark chapter 4. And so he was okay. basically making this point. Now, Mark chapter 4, I can you know, tell the parable real quickly. Um, Jesus is at this place where he's teaching by the lake. There's such a big crowd gathered around him that he had to go in a boat, push off uh, the shore just a little bit, be at the water's edge. And he taught them lots of parables. Well, one of the parables that he taught them is about this farmer who went out to sow his seed. So mm -hmm. as this farmer is scattering seed, he's got some that falls along this path. And what happens in that moment is the birds look at it and they say, food, thanks for feeding me. So it's on the path, it's very visible. The birds come, they eat it up. Then there's this other soil. So Jesus is talking about four soils in this parable. Uh, there's this other soil that, that is, it's, there's just a lot of rocks in it. I mean, there's a little bit of dirt here and there, but there's a whole lot of rocks. And so that seed goes there. It, it springs up quickly, but the, the soil is shallow, and so it can't put deep roots. Okay. Okay. Yep. Then there's this next uh, soil um, that the soil itself might be good soil for growing, but, but there are a lot of weeds, thorns, other things like that, thistles, that as those plants start to grow... Those weeds cover up, maybe they block out the sun, they take the nutrients, they take the moisture away, and so it's really difficult there as well for the seed to grow and produce a good crop. Um, then he says, still other seed, Jesus says, fell on good soil. Mm. And that's, that seed came up, it grew, it produced crop, and it multiplied. Mm. I mean, that's what Jesus says, it multiplied sometimes 30 or sometimes 60 and even 100 times. And so Jesus says at this, at the end of this parable, he says this, whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. And then there's, you know, there's this moment where he's alone with the 12 again, and they ask him, can you, can you tell me about this, this parable? Maybe this one in particular, tell me about other parables even that we're trying to understand these. And Jesus says about this parable in particular, he says, the secret of the kingdom of God has been given to you. But to those on the outside, everything is said in parables. And so he's saying specifically about this parable, within this parable is contained the secret of the kingdom of God. Now, when we read this parable, um, especially in the North American church, typically what we've done is we've gone straight to Jesus' interpretation, which, yes, Jesus needed to interpret this parable because there were some things about this parable that would have been hidden, hidden from even his obvious, okay. or, hidden from even his audience. There are other things that would have been obvious to his audience. So let's talk about the, the hidden things that he reveals very quickly. Okay. All right. So he says first about the, the stuff that was scattered and fell on the path and the birds came and got it. Well, these, these are people, Jesus says, who receive the word of God with joy. The seed is the word of God. They receive it with joy, but then it's snatched up. It's snatched up. It's taken away from them. The devil comes and steals it, basically. So the birds go and eat that soil. Then he says, okay. listen, there's this other soil. Um, that soil, you know, it, it's, it's rocky. There, 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 are a lot, there are too many other things competing there. Mm -hmm. it, it, there's not room for much deep root. So things come just like the sun comes and it withers the plant. Well, it, th those, those seeds can't put down deep roots, so they wither as well. So they hear it, they receive it, but after a little bit of time, some things crowd in and take that away, take away the faith. Okay, um, the last one it grows up among thorns, 
and it's choked out, you know, very similar to the stuff maybe in, in a sense that grows up among the rocks. You know, it could be the cares of this world. It could be sufferings that come yep. up. It could be yep. all these different things in the soil with the rocks or the soil with the thorns that come up and they crowd out the faith. They, they kill that faith. They kill what has been planted there. And then Jesus says about the last one, well, that's the good soil. That's where things grow and that's where the harvest really is. This is the secret of the kingdom of God, Jesus says. Now, again, that's the piece that we see that would not have been obvious to even his audience because they needed that interpretation. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we needed that explanation. They needed that explanation. What Josh said to me is what would have been seen by his first audience and acknowledged by all of them is this farmer is crazy. Mm. What is this farmer doing? Sometimes, sometimes we miss this. We, we, um, again, many of us didn't grow up farmers. I didn't grow up a farmer. I grew up next to a field that was farmed when we lived in Northern Europe in the mission field. Um, they planted potatoes there. Um, but many of us who have not grown up farming or certainly did not grow up in an agricultural culture, right? We don't understand how precious seed really is. Every year, they were trying to figure out how much seed do we keep for ourselves to eat and how much then do we have left over? How much do we need to save to go and sow? So you wouldn't waste your seed, especially if we're talking about wheat, because wheat, kernels of wheat ground up equals flour, flour equals bread, bread yeah, is a yeah. sustenance of life. Yeah. And so we want to feed ourselves and they're probably always kind of living on this razor's edge where we've got enough to live on, or if things go poorly, we don't have enough to live on. So nobody wasted seed. Yeah. Nobody wasted a kernel of wheat. You didn't do that because it was wasteful, mm -hmm. not just of it's wasteful and, oh, there's more. You shouldn't waste it, but you shouldn't, you shouldn't be a wasteful person. Yes, you can always go back and find more. No, it was if you waste this, there may be no more. Mm. And so here is this, this farmer scattering seed. And think about what he's doing with this seed. He's just throwing it indiscriminately everywhere, yeah. all over the place. You know, I mean, he's throwing it in places where there's a path. He's throwing it in, in places where there's soil with rocks. He's throwing it in among the thorns and the thistles and the yeah. weeds. Yeah. And then he's throwing it every now and then he's throwing a handful and it falls on good soil. He's just tossing it out there all over the place. He's sowing the seed wherever he goes, not making any judgment about the mm. soil that it's going to fall onto, fall upon. He's just throwing seed everywhere. And Jesus says, if you can get this parable, this is the secret to the kingdom of God. Multiplication will happen. Don't prejudge the soil that you're throwing it on. You just throw seed everywhere. That's... And what Josh has said is, this is how we've seen multiplication happen in India because we've got crazy farmers as it relates to the gospel everywhere who are going around just throwing seed indiscriminately all over the place. They're not prejudging the soil of someone's life, someone's heart. They're not prejudging that, but they're throwing seed. I think that's so interesting, Paul, because I think maybe the way I've read it in the past and what I would assume out of that parable at times is that, okay, so now to be a good steward, what I need to do is I need to go through and mm. find the right soil and I need to just lay that seed in the good soil. Don't throw it out on these other soils. Yeah. But then what am I doing? I'm putting myself right. in the position of knowing what the good soil is. That's right. I'm making myself the judge. Mm -hmm. and. One of the interesting things is two of those soils, the rocky and the good soil, you probably can't tell the difference. If you right. just look at it from afar, you probably really can't tell the difference you don't between know if what's there are rocks rock. underneath. You the might see if there's thorns yeah. there, maybe. That's not the point, but you probably can't tell the difference between some of those soils yes. and know what's what. So if I'm to go around and say, okay, this is good soil, this is where I need to spend my time yeah. putting the gospel. What if I'm wrong? I might yes. totally miss it. I might be throwing it in the wrong soil. So just this idea of don't discriminate in sharing the gospel, sharing mm -hmm. the word. And we, we've probably all had some experiences where we've had an experience of sharing the gospel mm -hmm. with someone. Maybe you've had that experience where you've shared it with someone who you didn't think would receive it at all, and they really have received it well. Or other times mm -hmm. I've had experiences of someone who... I've thought was receiving it well or would receive it well yeah. and it's gotten squenched out. So yeah. I'm not the judge. I can't right. know that. I can't know who that, where that person's heart is. So 
I, I really like that. That's a lens that I've not seen on this story before, yeah. on this parable, and um, I find that very helpful. Yeah, and as Josh says, this, this would have been understood by his readers. We, we often miss that first very obvious mm-hmm. piece. And, and uh, you know, I've, I've actually read some scholars even since that in commentaries because I was interested. And so I read a few commentaries that talk about, you know, Jesus would have shared this parable and everybody around would have had kind of a smile on their face because they're like, you know, they're thinking, okay, you're being kind of funny with this story. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, so Jesus was almost using what would seem like a little bit of humor. What is this farmer doing? Just throwing seed all over the place. This is crazy. So so they would have recognized that immediately. This farmer is kind of crazy. He's a little bit what what seems like reckless or at least Mm. very indiscriminate in the way he's sowing the seed. Now, here's, here's another principle that, that we learn out of this. You know, so one, we often think about, you know, well, here's my little field, you know, and here's the field that I can, th- I can sow the seed into, um, when the reality is we might have a much bigger field that we could be sowing seed yeah, into yeah. if we're just, again, sowing, ske- sowing seed indiscriminately like this farmer. Um, and, and, you know, so Josh says this. He says, what I have found is, is the size of, re- the, size of the harvest exists in direct relation to the size of the field in which the seed has been sown. So again, if you've got a 10 by 10 field and you go out and you're going to sow, you know, you're going to plant some corn in a 10 by 10 field, you can only expect to receive and return 10 by 10 fields worth of grain or worth of corn. Um, If your field is a thousand acres somewhere out in Kansas um, and you sow corn, you should expect to receive a thousand acres of return. You know, that should be your yield, that should be your harvest. Well, if we just throw seed all over the place, we don't know what's field and what's not. But I guarantee you it's going to be a whole lot more than the presumed 10 by 10 plot that we think is our field. So if we're scattering seed everywhere, the size of the field expands immediately. We're not prejudging what's field, what's rocks, what's weeds, what's path. We're just throwing the seed out there in an indiscriminate fashion and letting God be the one who's in hmm. charge. Letting God and the people that are hearing be in charge of the, the quality well, of the soil as opposed to we assuming that we should be. That That's so important too, is that God is in charge of mm. growing that seed. We're planting it, we're throwing it, we're sowing it, yep. but he's in charge of yes. growing that. Cause I think sometimes maybe, I don't know if this is a Western kind of mindset of things where we often, we really have this mindset to where it's very much results based sure. coming out of it. What's what's my return coming out of this? Yeah. So what yes. if you're that farmer and what if 90% of your seed right. is hitting bad soil? Yes. And you might think that if you're thinking it all results based of how many people have I led to faith directly out of this rather than mm-hmm. faithfulness based. If you're thinking of it results based, well then you might get discouraged and think, oh, I've thrown out this seed, but it didn't grow up here, so I'm done, I'm just gonna quit. Yeah. But no, our call is to be faithful yes. and to sow the seed and then let God handle the rest. That's exactly right. So you're not responsible for the fact that that seed hit thorny soil. Like that, that's not, you're not responsible yes. for that. You're called to be faithful and to throw that seed out into that thorny soil yeah. and then let that's God right. handle it. Um, yeah, I think what's interesting about this parable is that Jesus, you know, and I, I would, I'm gonna imagine that Jesus chose his words carefully, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> fair, so I, I don't wanna read too, too deeply into this, but again, my assumption is that Jesus chose his words carefully. And so what Jesus does not say is, listen, a farmer went out in his field to sow some seed. What he says is, listen, a farmer went out to sow his seed. Hmm. Whose field is he sowing in? Well, I mean, we could assume it's his field, but when we start to see where he's throwing seed, we see pretty quickly, well, he's throwing along a path. Maybe that was his path. But, but what I get in mind, you know, more when I think about this crazy farmer is he's just walking down a path, down a road, and he's just throwing <laughs> seed everywhere as he goes. He's <laughs> chucking it here, he's chucking it there. and we often, um, you know, I think about the way I've been before. When I, when I sow seed, I want to be at a place where I can sow it. Then I can turn around because this is my field. Mm-hmm. So I'm going mm-hmm. to cultivate the soil. I'm going to work on cultivating the soil first. Then I'm going to sow the seed. Then I'm going to tend that plant. I'm going to water it as well. And then I'm going to watch as it grows. And I want to be there to do the harvesting as well. So I want to do all of that. Mm-hmm. 
what I get when I see this sower now through this lens, right, of this, you know, maybe seeing it more through first century eyes, I see a guy who's just throwing seed, trusting, one, as the Apostle Paul says, only God can make it grow. And two, Paul says, I, wa- I planted, Apollos watered, only God can make it grow, right? Somebody else came along and did the watering. So we're throwing seed, trusting that God will bring the right people into the mix at the right time. So we throw seed and we may yeah. not be the one that actually is part that gets to harvest it in that yeah. sense. Yeah. But we're throwing seed. We may not be the one that gets to water it. You may not have cultivated that soil. Someone else may have. Yeah. The Holy Spirit has been working. You're just throwing the seed as you go. Love it. And then letting Love God it. do his work. And so be a disciple maker generationally. Um, not just by having to see the whole process through, but trusting that God is doing a work and we're joining him in that. Mm-hmm. And yes, mm-hmm. as we get the chance to be the one that does the discipling from you know, maybe moment of conversion and commitment all the way through spiritual maturity, let's rejoice in those times. But let's rejoice about every little piece that we get to play uh, in this process of people coming to follow Jesus, especially as it relates to just scattering that seed uh, with almost a reckless abandon. Because there's all, as far as it relates to the kingdom of God, there's always more seed. We're not going to yes. run out of seed to scatter. Excellent. So, Paul, I think we've already said it. Yeah. But let's yeah, yeah. say it a little bit more explicitly. Yeah. How do we practice what we've learned to be faithful to Jesus? I mean, I would just say this. Um, what, if, what if we were to sit down and look, you know, uh, whenever you're hearing this, just sit down and look at what the rest of your day looks like. Or if it's late in the day, look, look at tomorrow. What, what does your calendar look like for tomorrow? And ask yourself this. How could I tomorrow, given the things that I'm going to be doing, or even today, if you're listening to this early in the morning, how could I today or tomorrow be an indiscriminate seed sower? Be a crazy farmer. What, if I were to see myself as a crazy farmer, what would that look like? Where are the opportunities for me to scatter seed? And, you know, scattering seed doesn't necessarily mean you have to jump into a deep conversation. Yeah. It just means you throw something out there and you see what happens. And then you can come back and watch, especially if it's a person you engage with regularly. Is, is something starting to sprout there? Is something starting to grow? Yeah. Um, and it also, what's, what's great about that is it takes a little bit of the weight off of having to lead somebody to Jesus all in one moment, which is what we've thought about so often before, mm-hmm. um, where we get to, if we're, if we're just scattering seed, as a crazy farmer does, um, we sow some seed and we keep on moving. And we're going to get to walk back by that place where we planted seed, hopefully at some point in time. But sow seed and keep going and keep sowing seed mm-hmm. because that mm-hmm. is our call. And so, again... I, entertain that kind of slightly comical question, but, but a comical question with a very serious foundation, right? How can I become a crazy farmer in the way I scatter Love seed it. for Love the it. sake of the kingdom of God? I think that's what I'd say. Yeah, that's how we can live this out to become more faithful. That's let's excellent. Be, let's be a bunch of crazy farmers. Thank you. That's great. Awesome. I hope that sticks with you. That imagery, that question, how can you be a crazy farmer this Mm -hmm. week today as you're listening to this? So hopefully Mm -hmm. you take that to heart and you join us again next week for part three Mm -hmm. of this series on 2 Timothy. We would love to hear from you. If you have any questions, comments, please feel free to reach out. And until then, God bless. Mm